Hello and welcome back to Tapping Into Crypto, the podcast for all things cryptocurrency. This week, I want to ask you some questions to ponder on. Do you think that a DAO could cure type 1 diabetes? Could a DAO replace a traditional VC firm? And how do we get the incredible minds of traditional business and science spaces interested and across to the world of crypto? We are going to be unpacking all of these questions and more this week with Joey Pereiro. Now, Joey has held executive positions and been on boards across multiple industries. In the crypto world, you may be familiar with the work he's done on Yasha Dow, Guzzler, Cliff, or most recently, the Science Dow. This is a huge discussion that we're going through today, and there's some pretty interesting parts that we uncover in the NFT and, of course, metaverse world as well, because you can't dive into the world of DAOs without touching on those. So let's dive in, because whether you're a beginner, a Bitcoin veteran, or just crypto curious, I am your host, Alicia Chapman, and this is Tapping Into Crypto. Welcome to the podcast, Joey Pereira. It is so good to have you here with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, Joey, looking at your background, there are so many things that you have been involved in, and people may know your name from a few different projects. Can you kind of summarize the different things that, that you are involved in? Oh, my goodness. Well, currently, we, we just launched the Science DAO at the sciencedow.io, uh, which is a decentralized think tank and VC fund for the sciences. Um, we have some really cool people involved. There's multiple uh, former and current senior executives at Microsoft. There's a co-director for the Center for Infectious Disease Research. There's so many really brilliant, long-standing veterans in venture capital as well as uh, the sciences involved in that project. So very exciting. And then obviously we have our launch pad We've launched several tens of successful projects. On a personal note, I, I breed horses and uh, and I like to fish a lot. So Very yeah. cool. Very cool. And there's so much that we can dive into today and so many different facets of the things that you've been involved in and things that you've built along the way in your crypto journey. Now, the question that we ask everyone to the podcast is, what was your very first crypto purchase and do you still have it now? Yeah, so kind of interesting. First crypto purchase was a long time ago. Whether she knows that I'm even involved in crypto or not, one of my childhood friends was one of the founders at Mew, uh, my Ether wallet. Mm -hmm. And so very, very early uh, entry into ETH. Back then when the original DAO was was hacked and they had a hard fork ETH, I, I lost a bit of faith in blockchain. You know, it was supposed to be like unhackable, this and that, yeah. it's not going to work. And I thought it was decentralized and I was I was very passionate about decentralized governance back then. And it seemed like maybe it wasn't actually decentralized. You know, they were able to hard fork the, the entire chain. And it turns out that somebody had the power to do that, right, is, is what it appeared to be. So I kind of stopped with ETH-based projects back then. That was like 2015 or so. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, it took like a kind of a hiatus just as an investor, still worked in startups outside of crypto. And then and then got back in uh, not too long ago. I and mean, it's been, you know, we had a bull run, which which helped 
(laughs) always helps amazing and so for you like that's early early adoption like that is a long time ago joey like when that wallet first came out like that was kind of the crux and the basis of so many other wallets and projects that came after that so long time to go to get in and we always talk about it like you know the people that hang on if they got in that early usually are the people that just forgot that they had it in the first place because you know we see volatility now but there's more education there's more people kind of in your corner that make you feel like crypto is actually something that's going to stay for the long term and we're seeing the adoption and the utility of it as well whereas back then you're like oh god okay this feels like a scam because there's no proof that this is going to continue yeah absolutely well gosh i always tell people you know not financial advice or anything but some of my best gains have been from getting entry and then essentially forgetting about a project I think a lot of people and what ends up happening during these bull runs is the velocity of money increases and and people are in and out of projects and, you know, everybody becomes like a day trader, essentially. Mm. And it's, I think that it's better now that we're entering kind of a bearish trend in, in the market, right? Like, sometimes it's better waiting for those floors and getting entries into projects that have true utility good teams, projects that you like, like get into projects that you like. And then, yeah, I mean, you can you know, see where they are in in several years. So more of an investment type of perspective than a make income every day type perspective. (laughs) Yeah, just setting your charts to look at who's had the biggest percentage gain in the last week and jumping on board. So yeah, and there's so many ways we can take this conversation because you have been involved in so many different things. We have in the podcast, a couple of episodes ago, touched on what a DAO is, which is new for some people to, to hear this concept and this new way of working. How did the idea for the Science DAO come about? Well, you know, the original DAO was essentially a decentralized venture capital fund. And what we found for the sciences is there's there's many projects, many new innovations in, in medicine that sometimes never see the light of day because the funding requirements that are put on single individuals that are are managers at funds, like, you know, in a venture capital fund, a a managing director, a single investor only really has the bandwidth for maybe one, two deals per year. Hmm. And throughout that fund's life, that could be, you know, tens of investments, you know, maybe 10 to 15 investments that a single investor is sitting on the board of. It's almost too much work to keep up with, right? And a lot of people think like, oh, invest in this and that and this and that. But really like the capabilities of like a a human being, an investor is maybe like one or two deals per year. Hmm. And so what we found with the sciences is if we mitigate risk by spreading that risk over thousands of people, then the decision making power doesn't have to come from a single individual. Like, do I have enough energy to fund this project? Do we have enough in the fund to fund this project? Then the overall masses can kind of decide what they want to fund. So currently, you know, one of our advisors on the advisory committee is working on a type one diabetes cure, uh, utilizing CAR T cell treatment. And he has multiple patents at his university. You know, he's been successful in humanized mice, you know, so on and so forth. And so as we see the market take a extreme shift towards the the downside, essentially, a lot of VC funds are kind of curtailing their investments and, and you know, telling founders to kind of prepare for the next couple of years or so. Whereas in DeFi, the funding can come from thousands and thousands of people in a decentralized way. And so that decision making power or, you know, 
that those plans, they, they can be kind of distributed over many people. And so the funding power increases, but also the willingness to look at small deals, large deals, deals that might be passed on by a single perspective. And then it's like it's it's shelved. Um, we kind of bypassed that by by giving access to, to tons of people. So. It's a brilliant concept and something that you've proven before, which uh, we might touch on later and the incubator fund that you mentioned, Yasha, which is phenomenal as well. You know, it's something you've seen that's worked in that space. So to strip it back, if someone's like, hey, that actually sounds really cool. How does it work? Like if I'm interested in being an investor and I've got something to bring to the table, how do you actually join a DAO like this? Yeah. So, well, we try to stay away from the investor term and we call them contributors because at the end of the day, the DAO tokens are essentially just governance tokens, right? They give you a vote. They have you participate in decision making as a decentralized autonomous organization. So basically like a DAO, you know, the original DAO was a VC fund. However, the the DAO for Yasha and kind of like what we would like to see, you know, moving forward is that people not only contribute money to certain things, but they contribute human capital as well, mm-hmm. like their time, their efforts. And so what we've attracted is like a whole group of experts in different industries and fields that are able to come and give their perspectives on certain things. And then the decision making, you know, potency essentially increases, right? Because like now you have a ton of experts all putting their eyes on a specific task. And so our ability to get things done, like we have web developers, Solidity developers, game developers, all sorts of different developers, as well as business and finance and all sorts of different types. They're all able to come together and be like, you know, this is the right path forward. And so using that sort of collective hive mind, we think that the hypothesis is that they can choose the right path right forward. So... And something that's so often debated with DAOs is that that decision-making ability, it is meant to be decentralized. It's meant to be spread amongst all of the people that partake in a DAO. That's the whole point of it. But a lot of people have said, and we've debated this on the podcast before and brought up some reasons that it doesn't, but a lot of people have said that it could slow down decision-making or it could mean that the weighting isn't right. You know, if you do have these absolute experts that really know their stuff and they have the same weighting for decision-making as someone who is, you know, new to the space or doesn't understand the concept, that that kind of feels like perhaps it's not the right thing to do. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's a good point. I do have a bit of a technocratic soft side, right? Like I, I sympathize with the the technocracy as opposed to like the overall democracy, meaning like a group of experts can act essentially as like an initial filtering mechanism for the overall DAO. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we've done with the science DAO is our advisory committee, which consists of like true experts. I mean, like 40 year veterans and venture capital, specifically in like biotech and software can sort of filter those initial deals. That way it's not just like we're sending every single deal straight through to the DAO for some type of vote. There does need to be until a DAO, and I have yet to see it, (laughs) okay, until a DAO can fully actualize, there needs to be some, uh, like a slight bit of centralized leadership. You know, Mm. that's just, there there is a bit of a flaw. So I do sympathize. That's my stance on it. I would like to see the time when everybody's decision can come through and, and have that direct full bit of action. But there's, I wouldn't say that there's a ton of like, Uh, immature people or just people that are there for no reason, but it's very difficult to get all the right people in the room 
to make the decisions, right? So yeah, 100%. And I think that filtering system, people, you know, we're still making the rules here. This is something that is the new concept and something that you can take your own interpretation of. So people, when they think of DAOs and they haven't been involved in it, just instantly think, oh my God, everyone has to vote on something and how would they know? But you get to do this. And in our, our previous episode, we talk about as, the, as well that you get to do things like this and create your own barriers and constraints to make the DAO actually work. So it's super cool to see how you've actually structured that. Moving through to the reward that comes from being part of this, there's obviously, as a contributor, the reward of making something like a type 1 diabetes cure come to life, like that in itself is so fulfilling and so incredible. What other returns would people get from being part of this? Well, the overall structure, okay, so yeah, fulfilling, right? It's not just one CEO or one venture capitalist or or one team that gets to put it on their resume like, hey, we funded and we tried to be a part of this diabetes cure, right? It's thousands of people have that opportunity. They can go and say like, hey, I was part of the seed stage for this, which is really cool. You know, at the end of the day, I mean, that's like something to... You know, if it rewrites history or changes something or, or helps a lot of people, it's something that you can tell like your kids about, right? Like in the future, pretty interesting. At least for the science DAO, there's multiple things that you can get out of it, right? There's so many experts to bounce ideas off of. And that's where we like to focus. Like, although we're kind of maybe bending the definition of what a DAO, if a DAO is just a VC fund, <laughs> there's people, okay, I'll tell you this. Previously, I'm not exactly sure what the use case for crypto was. Like, I thought maybe it's just gambling. Okay, like, just gambling this is maybe the only use case. The only thing that really mattered was are people buying and are people selling? How much volume? Because those are the only charts that are actually moving. It's just based on volume. And like, that's it. Are people buying? Are people selling? Are more people buying than people are selling? Right. Mm -hmm. Whereas for us, I think what we found through like our charity projects and moving towards the sciences, putting new use cases, bringing new money into crypto and sort of legitimizing the the use cases for cryptos, it, it, it will sort of shut down a lot of the skeptics. If we are able to fund like a type one diabetes or a lot of the people that are skeptical about crypto, they can't really say anything about it after that. Right. I mean, yeah. like, well, how can you say anything? <laughs> how can you say it's not legitimate? That's like pretty epic. So what we found is use case wise, crypto has been able to make people that maybe were previously selfish or previously self-serving or previously did not have, you know, some of these like social type of ideas, like in their thought processes, it some of these DAOs have been able to actually make better human beings. You know, that core culture in that DAO is able to attract similarly minded people into that community. And then the the other people that are sort of surrounding, although they still have financial gains at the forefronts of their, their minds, um, they are able to make decisions differently based yeah. on like the overall sentiment of the community. And so, yeah, I'd say that making people better is, you know, a, a use case for crypto that is kind of under the radar. It's phenomenal. And I think just these communities that are coming out as well, like, you know, we see it in NFTs, the pictures, great, cool. Yeah. And there's been some incredible gains there. But now we're seeing it evolve into, and we, we've talked about this on a couple of podcasts as well, is that these 
NFT communities, it's like you're buying, instead of buying a picture, you're buying access to these communities and you're buying like a membership to be part of something. And we're seeing that now with this sort of DAO revelation as well, is that there's access to be able to do something great and do something cool that you wouldn't perhaps never have an opportunity to do otherwise. Now, is there a financial benefit to this as well, if you're part of this community? Well, I think it depends on the performance of the DAO, right? I can't like come in here and say that there is some type of financial benefit or anything. But so far, I think that the people in the DAO have experienced extreme gains, you know, like, so they've done pretty well, but no promises. Everything is a risk, guys. Of course, always. And do your own research, all the things that we always talk about. And Joey, where did your personal journey start with DAOs themselves? Oh my goodness. Well, I think my entire professional career, I've worked in startups. Okay. I've been on like many different board of directors, right? And and that is sort of like a collective decision-making power, especially in the nonprofit space. I founded a foster care program where we house like human trafficking victims. I used to buy housing for human trafficking, you know, to house human trafficking. Yeah. And I was the chairman of the board for for that project. And that was a, a very collaborative program, right? State organizations are involved. The requirements put on the decision-making power for the, the welfare of the, the kids, right, yeah. is a huge, you know, there's not like a single centralized person that is making the decision for like all of those kids' lives. You know, there's caseworkers, there's the state, there's DHS, there's the workers, right, inside of the program. And then there's the kids, their families, their guardians, you know, whatever it is. And so there's a huge decision-making process with everything that goes on within that kid's life, right? Like their school, after school, sports, everything. And so like, I guess it's just what I'm used to uh, is that that decentralized decision-making is kind of just what I'm used to. In terms of crypto, gosh, I mean, there's all sorts of tokens and communities out there that use that decentralized decision-making power, right? At the end of the day, like back then... (sighs) You know, you thought it was decentralized and then they were able to hard fork ETH, you know, and it's like, well, you know, they voted, I suppose, right? That's what the DAO voted to do. But, um, you know, whether it was actually decentralized or not. But we see in other really great projects, like I really like Digibyte. um, So like a Litecoin fork with different mining algorithms. It's truly decentralized. It can't be shut down. You know, it's really cool. I really like, I'm not shilling or anything, but I don't think that it can actually get over the hump and become like the adopted type of cryptocurrency for the world because there is no like centralized leadership, right? It's it's so dispersed that maybe it's, it won't be as efficient as like, you know, you see tons of VC money pile into Solana and then they have like yeah. a ton of power and so that there is a flaw to completely decentralized, right? Unless you're the original, like Bitcoin, right? For sure. And we've spoken about that even with Litecoin, like the tech behind it and the things that we're seeing happen on the Lightning Network are amazing, but the adoption's not there because they don't have a marketing team. They don't have the funds to be able to go and promote it to everybody about how fantastic it is. So we're seeing slow adoption and we're seeing, you know, real believers start to use this and share this. But the fast, quick adoption that we're seeing on other projects just isn't there because the money is not there. And the centralization of this is what we need to do to grow isn't there either, which is super interesting. Exactly. Yeah. You have a 
you have a really clean perspective on it. So, And so we touched on Yasha before, which is kind of where the VC, I guess, journey began for, for me when I was looking at your research and what you've done in this space. Can you touch on some of the projects that that's been able to bring to life? Oh, yeah. So basically, Yasha is like a decentralized incubator, accelerator type launch pad. It's a little bit more involved than just a standard launch pad where, where tokens or founders are able to raise like decentralized money for their IDO, you know, or whatever, whatever it is. And so our first project was Guzzler. It's a car racing game and game studio. Really amazing technology. Uh, it, it's, it's really cool. I really love the Guzzler project. The next project was Cliff, the Cliff token. Cliff was probably our most notable launch. It went from, you know, $300,000 starting market cap to a $200 million market cap within four days. So it was a, like insane, insane parabolic price action. I mean, just the chart yeah. is like, insane. it's been consolidating ever since, right? Like it made too many people too much money. Yeah, too fast. Like it pumped too fast. And um, that was probably the most notable, um, one of our strongest communities. Uh, we have the Neko project, which is our our hardware wallet and software wallet, which is really cool. So the Neko project is really like a hidden gem. So what people don't know, right, with MetaMask having an ownership interest from JP Morgan, if you guys look in the terms and conditions, guys, it's a Chrome plugin and it's an app. So they are monitoring or selling your data, giving them the permission to mine your, your data and your web usage. Okay. And that is a source of revenue for that company. And then all the profits, guys, what it does is those transaction fees, they go back to a centralized source and they're taken out of DeFi. They're no longer circulating in DeFi. It's like all those rapid transactions that everybody has during a bull run where they buy into this and then sell that and then they go to the next thing. There's a lot of turbulence. And so the companies that have specific strategies on how to capture that turbulence and gain off of it our companies like Consensus, right? And, and mm -hmm. some of these larger banks that are used to this, they've been doing it for a long, long period of time. So what the NECO does is all of those transaction fees, it, it keeps them inside of DeFi. Anybody that's staking the NECO token is able to have a share in weighted value based on how many NECO tokens they have. So all those transaction fees running through the wallet are shared with all of the holders, which is really exciting. It's truly a decentralized wallet you know, born in DeFi, made for DeFi. And then we have a hard wallet that's really cool. It looks like an iPhone. You know what I mean? It's got a 1080p screen. It's like its yeah. own little Linux machine. Um, super secure. Neko project has its own blockchain security arm. It's a really cool project. And then we have more. <laughs> hundreds more. Like, you can literally be here all day talking about all the incredible things that you've brought to life. Like, it is phenomenal. And I love that. I think the bear market's going to be a really interesting time for people to pull back the curtains and actually see, like, that, that MetaMask stuff. Like, I didn't know that. That is insane. And so, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, for people to actually be able to really unpack what's going on behind the scenes of all this stuff that they've just dove into over the last 12, 24 months and really <laughs> see what's happening. Like, do I actually agree with this project? Do I agree with the tech that I'm using? Or should I be looking for something alternative that actually supports the ethos and everything that I'm standing for? Yeah, exactly. There's a lot. Gosh, you know, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of developers you know, most of our team found extreme success outside of crypto. Okay. Although crypto has helped, it's not like a 
a sole source of income or notoriety. Like they all have storied careers before crypto. I think what people will see is is a lot of developers are able to create like such a strong reputation based on the bull market. But re- I think that the bear market and what people are able to build and the teams they're able to form during the bearish trends as well are really what's going to like show, you know, where the strong communities are, where the mm-hmm. strong utilities are and what can be adopted for the future. Um, a lot of that turbulent space will be kind of weeded out as people become less and less interested. Yeah, which I think makes it even more exciting. Like, you know, we, we always talk about this is where wealth is made. If you are smart and you've switched on and you're really doing your research and you know the teams and back the teams and projects, this is where you can change your life. But I think as well, something that I really want to dive into, Joey, you mentioned Guzzler and play to earn is something that we've spoken about on the pod. It's something that is very polarizing. People have very strong opinions on, we've found over the, the course of the last 12 months. And it's something that we've seen, you know, the introduction of NFTs and that being thrown around, whether that is a concept that is viable across the gaming industry. So obviously, traditional gamers, people who are playing AAA games, they are perhaps, you know, a little bit more reserved when it comes to whether NFTs should or shouldn't have a space in the gaming world. What do you think about it and where we're heading? Okay, so (laughs) this is interesting. So my friend Michael, hey, Michael, (laughs) he's senior vice president at EA. Okay, he's on the advisory committee for the science now. Uh, he's been in the gaming space for a, a long time. Okay, and everybody's been waiting for this metaverse and whatever is supposed to come. And th- this is a big topic. <laughs> this is a big topic. So w- when we saw the creation of the internet, right, there was no standardized consortium of companies that were creating the internet, right? There was some internet company, and then there was AOL. Lots of people thought, okay, AOL is the internet, right? But at the end of the day, it, it was not. It, was, it, it, yeah. it didn't. It was not the standard that people had chosen. And when we see like this metaverse this and metaverse that and play to earn gaming and this it's almost like that time. And Michael will tell you a little bit better than I will. He had one of the most highly trafficked websites during that dot-com era boom, mm-hmm. um, you know, as as the CEO. And he'll tell you, it's like, you know, people will sell their projects based on developing an Unreal 5. But it's like, there's so many other 3D game engines. If they create a consortium to make a standard, like this is the metaverse graphic asset, then Unreal 5 will not be the standard right? Um, So on and so forth. And then a lot of the big companies like EA, they have their own game engine, they have their own in-game economies, they have hundreds of developers working on every little aspect, right? And they still have bugs, right? And so I think when people see all these PDE games and, and different things, and people are like, oh, that PDE gaming is pumping right now, like, let's buy this PDE game. They don't realize like actually how hard it is the the extremes of logic that go into not only game development, but in-game economies and then earning like reward systems inside of games is like an extreme of human logic, right? It is like mm-hmm. to, to the extreme. And so like you have to look at the gaming team, right? The company, wh- whatever it is, the project, do they have the capabilities like, is there anything even there? Like, do they have the capabilities to create this extreme logic? Our blockchain advisor for the science style, Kevin, he's the developer for Me Monopoly. He's built a Monopoly game with NFT integration 
it's completely serverless. It has over 30 smart contracts integrated into the game. Just the extreme of the reward system and the money system involved in a board game is extreme, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You roll the dice here and this happens. And then if you land after you roll the dice and that number happens and you land on that square, then this happens. And then the the trail of logic that it, it runs down is actually pretty extreme. People never really realize that. So the, the PDE, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's such a big topic. You know, uh, Guzzler is a, is a pretty cool project. What it is, is it's not just the PDE game. It's the actual NFT integration engine. So what it does, the, the software, the middleware API that our, our team is developing and has developed, you know, a majority of your base a user is able to modify their NFT inside of the game, right? So what we did is we have a car as your base NFT. And if the wheels are an NFT and the performance parts are NFTs and the body kits are NFTs as well, being able to layer those NFTs on top of each other to create a new NFT that changes the metadata on OpenSea. And kind of what this would look like if you have a real estate website in Australia that you guys like to use, like imagine your house is your base NFT, right? And a contractor comes in to paint your house and you pay that invoice. An NFT is just a proof of ownership smart contract. So once you pay that invoice, an NFT should essentially be like minted, right? And there should be like a blockchain event. And immediately with this Guzzler middleware API, the metadata of your house on that real estate website should immediately update. Like the house was painted. This is how much you paid. Um, You know, the value increased by this much because that was your most recent remodel. You know, just like Carfax in the US where it shows how many times the car was serviced, right? You can almost have like a health score for your house. Like this is the recent maintenance. These are the the invoices that were paid for the most recent maintenance, you know, so on and so forth. So you can put like historical data onto the blockchain, onto the ledger. So it's transparent. So people know like if something is in disarray or, or something has been well-maintained. So that's, that's essentially like the essence of what the Guzzler game is just like doom or dune or doom. I, I don't, don't quote me. Gabe. Yeah. Uh, Originally, that game was was created to be a demonstration of the actual game engine. And then the game became very popular. Guzzler, the racing game itself, is a demonstration of the NFT integration, the, the actual engine to integrate NFTs. Now, I think just to segue, what the science that one of the things that it solves is with NFTs, okay, you have real versus perceived value right? Most of the NFTs on the market, they're JPEGs. The NFTs are in like their infancy stage. And the value is is essentially driven by collectors like large whales that are able to trade back and forth between themselves or between multiple wallets to drive the price up and to create some type of FOMO so that they can increase the price of their own collection. Mm-hmm. That's arbitrary value based on just maybe several individuals that are sort of able to control that market. Whereas with the science DAO, being able to put actual value on an NFT with the Guzzler engine, being able to account and show proof of ownership of, of actual value is, is one of the things that we're, we're trying to solve. So yeah, hope that wasn't too long winded. It's complicated. It is complicated. And I think there's going to be so many people listening to this and their mind has just literally almost exploded because they've thought about this concept of even a house, which is so relatable. Uh, Everyone can go, okay, I actually understand. I can see the utility of this even more. And it's a utility that's infinite. 
Like when you start thinking in that way, you're like, oh my God, well, like everything should be an NFT. Like literally everything in the world could have this same curve and have a place in this new environment. You are involved in so much. Where do you think we're going to go? Like that's a super broad question, but where do you think this pathway forward is with DAOs and NFTs and the metaverse and all the stuff? Oh gosh. Well, I think that anything that you want to have recorded in a transparent fashion on the blockchain to have some type of accountability, you can use an NFT, right? You can tokenize it. And this is not like a picture of an ape, you know, it's not a picture of something else. It it, it is to show an actual recording that this event happened at this time. And this was like the transaction that took place with the science. And this is just what I hope. This is what I hope. Okay. And this is what we're trying to achieve with the science DAO. What we are specifically working on, and it's different than a lot of people that are in DeFi currently in their projects, I think this is what separates us, is that we are really trying to improve the space. And and what that means is there, there are still lots of crypto skeptics, people that have not yet been involved. A huge problem that we see inside of DeFi right now is that there's just not enough money to actually go around to all of these projects, this constant rotation and dilution. What you have is everybody that comes in is essentially like gambling or they're like a day trader where they'll sell the bottom of one project and buy the top of another project that just launched just to get sold on. And generally it's the people that get in very early are selling on the people that get in a little bit later. And there's never like any clear winner except for the people that get in early, right? It creates a lot of rotation. And within that turbulence, the the funds actually settle down to the people like MetaMask, people that have specific strategies to kind of capitalize on that turbulence, not necessarily the people that, you know, get into a project and maybe one day it, it will go up, you know, in a thousand X or something. And so what we've really been focusing on is finding new niches that aren't really integrated into DeFi just yet and trying to appeal and bring those people into DeFi, like the science style. There's university professors, there's scientists, there's people where this is their first crypto project they've ever been involved in or or have contributed to. And so we have to make it fun for people that have not yet been in and actually accomplish solving some, some complex tasks to shut down any skeptics that might be like, there's no use case for crypto. It's just a picture of an ape. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. We have like some people that have managed billion dollar funds and involved in the science style. It's much easier to say, hey, we can raise money from thousands of people to try to cure diabetes, right? Rather than, hey, you should buy this token called ape, you know, or you should buy this picture of this goblin. Okay. No offense. We had a board ape. I like the project. Um, The goblin one that just came out, that one's cool too. So it's easier to bring in new people to crypto with a project that they can sort of relate to and sort of put the the pieces together and, and have it make sense for them. As opposed to saying like, hey, you should buy this dog token, right? Or yeah. you should buy this ape token. Like it doesn't make sense to them. They're like, no. <laughs> you know? yeah. so. And this feels real. This feels like something they could be part of. They could probably imagine themselves being part of a board. They could probably imagine themselves contributing in some way. So being part in this way that happens to have a DAO attached to it and happens to utilize blockchain, it just feels like, oh, yeah, well, okay, that makes sense. That is much more efficient way of doing what I was 
happy to do anyway. So really cool to see this next evolution come about. So Joey, a lot of our listeners, they are going through so much pain. We've seen so much gains, all the good stuff. And now, yeah, okay, we're going through a correction. There's talk of recession. You know, we've had a whole big episode around what's actually happening in the economy. What would you say to those people? There's an interesting quote. I'm going to try to bring it up. And this is for anybody that's going through any type of uh, bear market trend right now. It was from Tim Tam, who's one of the mods in, in one of our telegrams or multiple of our telegrams. But he, there was a really interesting white paper that we saw out there. And it went something along the lines of the bullish trends create weak communities. The weak communities bring bear markets. The bearish trends create strong communities. And the strong communities bring the bull markets. And I think the essence of what the original author was saying there was the crazy bull market and bullish parabolic price action brings people in for that crazy price action. And they're there only for that. And they'll eventually sell off and disperse from that community and create a lot of turbulence, which then you know, brings about the bear market. And during the bear market, many VCs, many people found their best entries during the bearish trends. A hundred percent. Some of the bet, like whether it was Solana or Cosmos or any of these, many of the large investments that came in during that building phase where the price action, nothing was happening, whether it was like that 2018, 2019 phase, that's where a lot of the VC money actually started piling into crypto. And they found that liquidity event during that next bull market, right? That next bullish trend. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of what captures. So find, find your entries. Find yeah. your entries. So. And do your research, guys. Like as we said, and we say this all the time as well, the tech isn't going away. If you do research, you find great teams, you find great projects. There is so much incredible things that you can be part of at that early stage and really help to bring to life because this stuff needs to still happen. And if you can be part of that, like how rewarding, going back to what we were talking about at the start, like phenomenal opportunities to be part of. Joey, for people who've listened and they're so keen to learn more or find out a little bit more about Science Dow, where can they go? Uh, thesciencedow.io. And then we have a link to our announcement channel in Telegram or our Discord. The Twitter link, all the links, all the social links are on there. That's probably the best place to go. And then obviously yashadow.io if you want to be part of that incubator as well. So there's two separate incubators. They have different functions and focus on different things. Yasha is more of like a token crypto project type of uh, launch pad. So you can get in early on these projects. This is not a promise of any gains, just is just reporting historical facts. The Yasha DAO pre-sales have produced an excess of 150,000% return. (laughs) (laughs) That is so epic. And all of the work that you're doing, Joey, it is. It's epic. So we will pop that all in the show notes for you guys. You can go check it out, have a chat, be part of this community, part of something incredible that you can be so proud of in the future. Um, So pop it all there. But thank you so much for coming on today. It has been so fun having a chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. If you liked it, don't forget to head over to the gram and join us at Tapping Into Crypto. And before we finish up, just a general disclaimer that this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. And the opinions on this podcast belong to individuals and are not affiliated with any companies mentioned. 
Any advice is general in nature and does not take into account your own personal situation. If you're looking to get advice, please seek out the help of a licensed financial advisor. We'll talk to you soon.